I want to, um, we were talking about um, trusting in the Lord with all thine heart and some expected results. And so what we're looking at is the, the uh, potential material and certainly the spiritual prosperity of those who trust in the Lord with all thine hearts and lean not onto thine own understanding. And so I've come down to the last three things in regards to... Um, our stewardship, if you will, as far as those things that God has blessed us with. So I want to talk about generosity. I want to talk about ill-gotten gains. And I want to talk about greed. So hopefully I'll be able to get through all of that. So uh, first one, generosity, Proverbs 11.24, if you want to turn there. Proverbs 11.24, that's my uh, little uh, springboard verse that I'm going to use. Proverbs 14.21 says, or 11.24 says, um, There is that that scattereth and yet increases, and there is that withholdeth more than is meet, but it tendeth to poverty. Now I've heard some folks on the radio use this verse to address uh, diversity in one's investments, in other words, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Make sure you diversify with your investments. And yeah, I, I can see that there. And uh, But the context of this verse, if you look at the context of the verse, uh, that's of course your number one Bible principle, Bible study principle, right? Context, context, context. But if you look at the context here in 11, 24 through 26, and we're going to touch on it a little bit, uh, this isn't speaking so much of one's investments, but rather one's generosity. Uh, being shown to those who are in need, helping those who are less fortunate, uh, folks who um, uh, are poor, who may be going through a season of poverty. And this uh, also is followed up with a blessing and cursing in uh, verse 26. So the whole context is in regards to uh, generosity or kindness or charity, uh, toward those who are uh, poor, to, towards those who are poor, and the Book of Proverbs has a lot to say about um, folks who are poor. Uh, Proverbs fourteen twenty one says, "He that despises his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he." So there's blessing uh, that comes to someone who uh, aids the poor. Proverbs fourteen thirty one says, "He that oppresses the poor reproaches." his maker. But he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. Another one very similar, Proverbs 17.5 Whoso mocketh the poor reproacheth his maker, and he that is glad at calamity shall not be unpunished. So, uh, two things that men do to the poor that the Lord absolutely um, despises. He absolutely despises it. In fact, he takes it as a direct insult to himself. That's what it says here. Reproaches his maker. Uh, The first thing that uh, God uh, hates in regards to those who ill-treat the poor is that they exploit the poor or they oppress the poor in order to make themselves richer in order to gain something off of the poor. Uh, Another thing is uh, to ridicule or to uh, mock the poor, to uh, sneer at the poor as if they are of no value, as if the poor are a waste of skin and air or a drain on society. It's that, it's that mentality of superiority, that looking down. Uh, kind of like what I quoted what Plato said in regards to the man who, who is poor. If he's not, a, he's not a benefit to the society, then let that man suffer and die pretty much is what Plato said. If that man cannot contribute to society, then go ahead and let that man uh, perish and die. Kind of seeing that kind of thinking today in our, in our own culture in some ways. So to exploit or oppress the poor or to, um, or to, uh, to make yourself richer or to, or to just think that they're worthless or just a waste of, of uh, air. You know, that's something that God absolutely hates. Absolutely hates about one's mentality in regards to those who are poor, who are less fortunate. Uh, you know what? Plato and the other wise guys had nothing on the word of God. 
They had nothing on the Word of God. And yet, you know, this is what uh, Western culture, they like, to, they like to turn to these guys for wisdom and so forth and so on. Uh, let me tell you something. You know, the, the Word of God is, is light years ahead of what any of these guys ever, ever talked about. Uh, in in uh, Deuteronomy 15, Moses wrote about the poor. Turn to Deuteronomy 15. I want you to, I want you to see this with your own eyes. But in Deuteronomy 15, Moses, uh, under the inspiration of, 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 uh, of God, is, is talking to the people about the poor. And in Deuteronomy 15, 7, he says, If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren with any of thy gates in thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, look what he says here. Thou shalt not harden thy heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lead him, uh, lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him not, and he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it be, and it be sin unto thee. And that seventh year, that's, that's a little bit of a study, but I'm not going to go into it. In other words, that's just taking advantage of your brother. Did I say brother? Brother. <laughs> Verse 10, Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him. The Lord loves the children giver. Because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thine hand to. Verse 11, For the poor shall never cease out of the land, therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to thy, and to thy needy in thy land. That's why I put down here, Open hand versus closed heart. Open hand versus closed heart. You know, verse 11 where it says, uh, For the poor shall never cease out of the land. Boy, that's true, isn't it? That is true. We're always going to have the poor. In fact, Jesus, when he rebuked Judas for his complaint about Mary anointing his head with that, with that ointment, and Judas said, Well, that could have been given to the poor. That could have been given to the poor. Jesus said, um, he said, um, well, I'm going to read it, John 12, 4. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? And this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. So there is an, uh, an example of a man who's going to exploit the poor for his own benefit. Then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. So there's always going to be poor people. Always going to be poor people. Um, Like I said, the word of God is light years ahead of these wise guys of the past, present, and future. And uh, the Proverbs uh, reflects this wisdom. In Proverbs, and the Bible goes the opposite direction that these wise guys in the past talked about, these heathen philosophers. And even though the idea of eradication of of poverty is a noble ideal, we will never eradicate poverty. Why is that? Because sinful man (laughs) is the one in charge of trying to eradicate poverty. And unfortunately, sinful man will take advantage of the poor. I mean, we see that. How many times we see that in, in charity organizations where most of the money goes for the overhead and very little of the money goes for the actual people in need. Now, I'm not saying we don't, don't give to charities. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm simply saying is we're never going to eradicate poverty. The only time poverty is going to be eradicated from this planet is when? When Jesus comes. Yeah, when Jesus comes, then poverty will will be eradicated. But we still should have pity on the poor. Proverbs 19.17 says, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. 
So when you're giving to the poor, you're actually lending to the Lord. You're actually lending to the Lord because the poor to the Lord is very important. Very important. I looked up this word lendeth, and it has, it's one of those dual meaning kind of words. Uh, the first meaning, it means to join oneself to another. To join oneself to another. An example of this is in Genesis 29:34. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me. That word be joined unto me, it's the same Hebrew word translated as lendeth. Because I have borne him three sons, therefore was his name called Levi. So when we provide aid to the poor, what we are doing is that we are joining ourselves onto the Lord because that's the Lord's mind toward the poor. He wants us to help the poor. He wants us to help the poor in, in their situation. You know, another passage in John's Gospel gives us some insight concerning the Lord Jesus and the poor. We know that Jesus helped the poor, don't we? I mean, he he healed the blind and the lame. I mean, he helped the poor. He preached to the poor. The poor heard him gladly. Uh, But in John uh, 13.27, it says, And after the sop, Satan entered into him, then said Jesus unto him, That that thou doest do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. Verse 29, For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So to me, that's a little insight. Not only did Jesus heal the poor folks, but this tells me that Jesus also financially gave to the poor folks. So when we financially give to the poor folks, we're doing just like Jesus did. We're partnering, partnering with Jesus. Joining with Jesus in his, in his attitude toward the poor. It also means to lend to another. Exodus 22:25. If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as a usurer, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. So an essential part of, our, of the stewardship of that which God has provided for us, we should as good stewards use some of that to help alleviate the burden of the poor to help folks who are in poverty, to provide the resources that they need to aid them during this season of want, whether that's finances or time or whatever it is. God encourages us to do that, for when we do that, then we are partnering with God in that attitude of what we call today as charity. And I like the word charity because what charity is is love and action. Love and action. Proverbs 28, 27 says, He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Remember last week when I was talking about the folks by the roadside? And I said, have you ever seen someone like that and not look at them on purpose? Yeah? I've done it. You just you never know. You just don't know. But he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. What that's talking about is the person who has that closed heart to the poor. You know, they don't want to help the poor. They have no need for the poor. Like Plato, they think that they're a drain on society. Now I don't know how the Lord works all of this out. But when we show charity to those who are in need, we, we, we are partners with God in, in, that, in that mindset. When we do our part, we put our part into his purse, if you will. Okay, we put our part in his, into his purse, and the Lord will see to it that we will receive back more than we have, been, we have given. I don't know how he does that. I don't know how he works that out, but he does do that. I have seen that firsthand. I've seen that done firsthand. I've seen people who give, and then later on down the road, they get it back, and even more so. I've even experienced that myself. 
That's a promise from God. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack. On the other hand, uh, stinginess may often lead to less money. It seems like the, the, the more you try to hang on to it, the more it's, it's squeezed out between your fingers. I've seen that happen too. I've witnessed folks who live a very selfish lifestyle and they end up with less than they hope to hang on to. They hope to hang on to. You guys uh, remember the movie um, It's a Wonderful Life? I like that movie. Because what that movie does, it, it shows this principle. That's back when Hollywood tried to make movies that promoted biblical values. Not like they do today trying to tear them down. You know, we know the story about old George, George Bailey, right? He was a man who was a decent man. He was a generous man. You know, everybody liked George. Uh, he helped his neighbors even though he, he himself was struggling financially. He got himself in some trouble. It was no fault of his own. So when the chips were down, what, what happened at the end of the movie? All of his neighbors came and, right, and bestowed upon him double the blessings that he bestowed on, upon them. That's not a spiritual platitude, folks. That's a promise from God. That's a promise from God. Ecclesiastes 11.1 1 says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Now, it may not be a quick turnaround on your investment for the Lord's sake, but God keeps a good ledger book. And he doesn't forget that. He doesn't forget that. Proverbs 11:24 through 26 says, There is that scattereth and yet increases. There is that withholdeth more than his meat, but attendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. You know, we've got this camp, and there's some folks that gave to the camp so that there were certain kids who couldn't afford it go to the camp. You may have invested in a young soul. That young soul may go to camp. They may hear the gospel for the first time. And they may surrender to Christ. So your investment of that measly $200 could end up in a soul being saved. Here again in Proverbs 11, 23 through 26, 24 through 26, you know, we see the results of being charitable contrasted with being stingy. Generosity often leads to the giver being spiritually refreshed, being rewarded. He that watereth shall be watered also himself. Proverbs 11, 25. You know, the Apostle Paul quoted the Lord Jesus Christ about this matter in Acts 20, verse 35. He says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now you can search the Gospels from beginning to end and you will never find that quote. But he said it. We know he said it. Why did we know he said it? Because it's right there in the Bible. It's better. How many times have you heard it's more blessed to give than to receive? We used to hear it a lot of times. We don't hear it so much anymore. Again, these are not spiritual platitudes, but these are promises made by a God who does not lie. Made by by a God who does not lie. And those who partner with him in aiding the poor, right? You're partnering with God. Is our God not a giving God? Sure he is. And the greatest gift that he gave us is who? Yep. So if he didn't withhold Christ, you know, what's there left for him to give? So when we give, we are partnering with our Father who gives. And in a small way, we emulate the Lord. 
In a small way, we emulate the Lord. Turn to um, Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58. Here Isaiah is speaking concerning a heart of generosity. Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, 6. He writes, Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, that ye break every yoke? Isaiah 58, 7. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, yet that thou bring the poor that are cast out of thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward, or that security, or assurance. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday, and the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. Now the context of this passage is to the religious people who thought that periodic fasting would bring about God's blessing in their life. Alright? So they had a self-imposed want in order to gain merit with God. God's not interested in self-deprivations for deprivation's sake. Right? This is that old fig leaf, cane-like mentality of earning favor with God by your good works. As if God owes you something because you did such and such. God's not interested in that kind of mentality. Paul spoke about this in Colossians 2, 21-23. He says, Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. You know, that's that, that showiness, that superficiality of religion. You know, we've got false preachers that preach a false faith, that put on a false face by glorifying in their good works. And yet inside, what is it Jesus said? You're full of dead men's bones. Whited sepulchers. Whited sepulchers. And it's funny how these false preachers are always preaching on giving, 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 giving. But who are they preaching that you give to? Them. Them. So they can drive around in their big SUVs and fly around in their private jets. One of these days, they're going to give an account for that. God seeks those who are sincere in their love for Him and for others. And one of the ways that this sincerity of love is most often evident is in how God's people treat the poor. Apostle Paul teaches in in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 about giving, grace giving. 2 Corinthians 8 11, Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. See, God is more concerned about the heart gift than the hand gift. If the heart wanted to give more, yet the hand was not able to, the Lord sees this and acknowledges that. Have you ever been in a position where you've only had so much to give and you wish you could give more, but you just simply don't have it? But you go ahead and give what you've got? God sees that. God sees that. Also, if the hand gives more than the heart is willing to give, right? If the hand gives more than the heart is willing to give to impress others, say like an Ananias or Sapphira, God sees that too. 
Sadly, some people give to impress. Sadly, some people give to impress. And that goes down in God's ledger. That goes down in God's ledger. Ledger. You see, God's not interested so much in the share given, but in the quality of the heart that gives it. That's what he's really interested in. That's what he's looking at. For the Lord looketh upon the heart. Upon the heart. You know, so many people do good things that can be done with a bad heart attitude. You know, you always hear these people giving so much money, but they're doing it for a tax break. Doing it for a tax break. The good thing benefits the one to whom the good is done, but sadly the one who did the good thing misses out on the benefit that could be theirs from the Lord. That's a mouthful, isn't it? But it's true. They miss out on that benefit. And if the stingy could give more but does not, God sees this. If the generous desire to give more and could not, the Lord sees this. Again, because God's concerned about the heart. It's all about the heart. He says a cheerful heart is what pleases God. God loveth a cheerful heart that gives. Proverbs 11.26 says, He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. So those who are stingy end up with nothing that is of any eternal value. Instead of laying gold, silver, and precious stones upon the altar, what are they putting up there? Wood, hay, and stubble. So when they stand before the Lord at the Bema seat, then all of that wood, hay, and stubble, what's going to happen to it? It's going to turn into ashes. It's going to burn away. It's going to burn away. Proverbs 28.22 says, He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. It's a principle of sowing and reaping. Those who sow little will reap little. Those who sow much will reap much. It's that principle of blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You show mercy, you'll receive mercy. If you don't show mercy, you know that's a principle that works both in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. It just works. It just works. Any comments or questions? All right, I'm going to move on then. Ill-gotten gains. That's the next one we want to look at. Proverbs 15.6 In the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. You know, every once in a while we get a peek behind the walls of those big fancy homes, don't we? It'll show up in the news. And what we often discover, it's not always well behind those big fancy walls, is it? This applies to anyone who who forsakes the Lord, irregardless of your annual income. Right? It's all about your heart attitude. And if your money is gotten by ill-gotten gains, you can guarantee there's going to be trouble with that. There's going to be trouble with that. Money gained by dishonest means will dwindle away. Proverbs 13.11 says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Here's an interesting statistic. According to the New York Daily News, 70% of lottery winners end up broke within seven years. That's including those folks that win like $326 million. How do you blow through $326 million in seven years and end up broke? Yeah. Wealth through games of chance. That's wealth gained by vanity. The University of, at Buffalo Research Institute on Addictions did a study and found that very low-income households have almost a 100% higher rate of gambling than the general population. That's just kind of a quirky little statistic. The poorer you are, the more apt you are to gamble. I think it's that get-rich-quick mentality. Casinos make 90% of their wealth from 10% of its patrons. You're not going to beat the house. 
I knew a gal in my job that got behind in her rent. And her plan was to take her paycheck, go to one of the boats, and try to make up the difference. Do you know what happened? She lost it all. She lost it all. And so her predicament was three times worse than when she started. Proverbs 22.16 says, He that oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he that giveth to the rich shall surely come to want. You see that all the time. People giving their money to people who are already rich to try to gain something. Grease the palm. Uh, wealth got by means of cheating or deception or by con. You know, that's, that's a wealth that carries with it a, a curse. Uh, people who oppress others for money, um, they'll come to poverty because of it. Taking advantage of the elderly. Taking advantage of those who are, are living off of their life savings or, or their pensions. We, we hear about this all the time. These scams on the telephone and these scams that go around and, and, and target these folks, con these folks with hardly nothing. Trying to convince them that if you invest in this or invest in that, we can double your money. There's preachers out there that do the same thing. Proverbs 22.22 says, Rob not the poor, because he is poor, neither oppressed afflicted in the gate. Verse 23, For the Lord will plead their cause and spoil the soul of those that spoiled them. Any kind of injustice or oppression will not go unpunished. God sees it. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. It may not necessarily happen immediately, but it will happen. You can, I guarantee it, it will happen. If not in this life, certainly in the next. Certainly, and that's what these types forget about. You know, they forget about there's a, there's a day of reckoning. There is a day of reckoning. Ecclesiastes 8, 12-13, Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him, but it shall not be well with the wicked. Neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. There is coming a day. Honest labor is truly the best way to go. Don't, ad- don't adopt the mindset of, what, what was it, the circus guy? Uh, there's a sucker born every minute. Yeah, BT Barnum. Don't adopt that attitude. <laughs> there's a sucker born every minute. Earn your money honestly without oppressing the needy. You know, the Apostle Paul was very careful to maintain a, a clear conscience. Acts 24:16, he says, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. In order to avoid the appearance of taking advantage of the churches, what the Apostle Paul often did was that he labored. He was a tent maker. So instead of taking money or you know, get, expecting money from the churches that he ministered to, he labored with his own hands to support himself and to support those that were with him. Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, verse 7, he says, For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might, might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. So he was setting in an example. Paul also taught that if you've got a faithful, godly pastor who is truly ministering to the body, then that body should support that pastor. 1 Timothy 5.17, he says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who, who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. I think we have a worthy laborer 
in our pastor Brian. So it would behoove us to support our pastor. But shamefully, there are many pastors who abuse this. And they make merchandise of the congregations that they serve. I don't think, I don't, I know Brian is not that kind of person. Where those pastors fall into is our our next point. (laughs) Greed. Be wary of greed. Proverbs 15.27 says, He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. You know what? A, A greedy man or a woman in a household can really bring a lot of problems on their house. They can bring a lot of problems on their house. They can bring that house into deep debt because they always got to have, always got to, you know, they always got to have more, always got to have more. So they put themselves in in debt, and that always brings problems onto the house. <laughs> One of my favorite people to read. I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to disparage his name and I don't want to get JB mad at me. But he's always talking about buying a new bass boat. I don't really need that bass boat. I've already got six bass boats. But he has to have that one more bass boat. There's a lot of people that have that mentality. Now he does that in humor. He says that in humor. Greed can also destroy one's reputation. Uh, Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. You know, a good name in, 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 in the community is an invaluable commodity. If you're a businessman in your community and you're not noted for, you know, if you're, if you're noted for being greedy, then that can, that can have an adverse effect on your, on your business. Um, a good name is, is, is important. That's why the Bible is so, is, so, is so strongly opposed to slander and false witnessing and whispering in the hallways about so-and-so and tarnishing their, their reputation, their name. That's a big no-no in the Bible, and I'm afraid that some of us forget that. A good name means that someone has lived in such a way, showcasing godly values in their life, that others come to respect that individual. Whether it's a man or a woman, they come to respect that individual, and they begin to trust him. But if you don't live such a life, and you're known to say, be greedy... Uh, then that reflects upon yourself and that also reflects upon your your household. Uh, I don't think you can really truly trust a greedy individual because they're very the very nature of them is covetous. That's their very nature. They're covetous. And I would be wary of going into business with a greedy person because what's the guarantee that that greedy person won't be skimming the profits or won't be doing something underhanded. A greedy reputation affects the household. It causes trouble for the household. You know, um, when the greedy person is off the scene, uh, who do the creditors go after? It's the family. Proverbs 20 verse 10 says diverse weights and diverse measures both of them are like abomination to the Lord a dishonest greedy merchants who doctored the scales and the weights were, were, were an abomination in the, in the neighborhood because most of their customers were right there from the, from the neighbors I recall going to school with a boy a young man I was third grade and um, whose daddy was a used car salesman. And I couldn't understand why this young man didn't have very many friends. You know, I knew the kid. I talked to him. Went out to the playground. He seemed like a pretty nice guy. Well, it wasn't until later on, maybe fourth or fifth grade, where I realized what was going on here. 
His dad was a used car salesman. And he wasn't a very honest used car salesman. And so his father's reputation reflected upon his son. And so a lot of the other kids in school didn't like the boy because their fathers had had dealings with his greedy, dishonest father who was a used car salesman. And that kind of transferred to the boy. It happens. It happens. Proverbs 1, 16 through 19, For their feet run to evil, make haste to shed blood, surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, and they lay in wait for their own blood, they lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. I mean, we hear about this in the news sometimes. You know, the, the, the criminally minded people who think, uh, you know, they get easy money by their criminal activities. And it brings violence to their house. Drive-by shootings. How many times we read about a little girl, a little boy, shot and killed in their own bed because of something going on? police raids, legal trouble, all of that comes upon the household because of the criminally minded who thinks that they can make a quick buck. Remember Lyle and Eric Menendez? Menendez? Yeah, they, they blew away their parents with shotguns. Wanting to inherit the $14 million fortune that they, their parents made. They couldn't wait for their parents to pass away, so they just blew them away. Greed. Proverbs 30, verse 15, The horse, horse leech hath two daughters, which I believe is ignorance and greed, crying, Give, give! There are three things that are never satisfied, yea, four things say it is not enough. Ecclesiastes 5.10 He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also in vanity. A greedy person is never satisfied. I don't remember the fellow's name. I don't know if it was Getty or Rothschild, but they asked him one day, how much is enough money? He says, there's never enough money. Never enough money. Always striving for more and more, spending what one doesn't have, borrowing money and borrowing more money, putting yourself in debt in order to obtain more stuff. That ruins you. Ruins your family. Destroys peace in the home, peace of mind, peace in the marriage. You know, I got online and I looked, you know, top five reasons why divorce happens. Money was in that top five list almost in every website I went to. Sometimes um, money causes drug or alcohol abuse in the house. Uh, Sometimes money causes um, physical or emotional abuse in the house. Proverbs 15, 17 says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. It's better to have love in the home Rather than have three cars in the garage, several bass boats, <laughs> and all that goes with that. Proverbs 17.1, Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. I remember when uh, Diane and I first got married, we didn't have barely two nickels to rub together. I think at the time, my job was paying $110 a week. But we were happy. I'm not saying we're not happy now, sweetheart. We had each other. You know? Greed makes empty promises of happiness and never delivers on its promise. Proverbs 19.1 says, Better is the poor that walketh is in integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. And Proverbs 20 verse 7 says, The just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. So many have sacrificed integrity on the altar of greed. 
And the example of greed they set before their children's eyes, their kids are picking up on that. And mom and dad are showing to them what is really of value in life. It's the stuff instead of having a relationship with God. It's the stuff that's important. So when the kids grow up, guess what they worship? The stuff. The stuff. Anybody know who... I know you don't. (laughs) Because I didn't know either until I looked it up. You know, anybody know who Evagrius Ponticus is? (laughs) Well, he he was a priest in the 4th century. Have you ever heard the seven deadly sins? He's the one who came up with the seven deadly sins. And greed is one of the seven deadly sins. Proverbs 28.8 says, He that by usury and unjust gain increases his substance, he shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. I've seen that too. You know, these rich guys, these greedy guys who gather all of this money, and then they end up going to jail or end up dying or end up losing it. And where does all that stuff go? It goes to folks who who need it. Price gouging one's customers or business associates, charging exorbitant interest on money, like some of these payday loans and car title loan places. The highest credit card rate, and this might be, this might have changed, but the highest credit card rate today is 36%. If you pay the minimum payment, you'll never pay it off. Never. 36%. That's amazing. They had to write uh, usury laws because this kind of stuff just got out of control. But there's still... You know, there's still ways to get around that. I've known individuals who use these payday loans and these title loan outfits, and they get trapped. They get trapped. Proverbs 30, verse 7 says, Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. He says, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Least I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or least I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Bottom line is, Lord... Teach me to be content with what I have and help me to seek a balance in my life concerning these things. So many people are out of balance about things. They're just completely out of balance about things. So again, we see the importance of the hard attitude and the issues of life, especially about our stuff. We need to ask God to give us the proper attitude, seek God's wisdom in his word, show us how to be good stewards with what he's given us, to be content with what he's given us, to share what he's, been, what he's given us. All of that's part of that stewardship. Money, the biblical view of money begins with a commitment to honor God first in all things. That's number one. That's what we started with when I started this little thing. Honor God first in all things. Include your resources. Keep in mind that wisdom, righteousness, and the fear of God is more important than all of our stuff. Keeping that relationship with God clean. And if we esteem God first and heed his word, consider these issues of life, then he promises that we will fare better than most. And we will fare better than most. So there's a rarity, everybody. I got through all three points. And still have time to spare. So any questions or comments? Yes, JB, go ahead. Can you stand up so everybody can hear you? How do you balance 
the teacher we just got with the biblical comment that says if you don't work, you don't eat. Well, there is no balance, is there? You have to work in order to eat. But if we have a poor person that's not working... I consider this poor person. What if this poor person is a paraplegic? Sure. Yeah. So you see, you got you got to look at things like that. You know, you got to take take in consideration these things. But I agree with you. If there's a poor person who simply refuses to work, yeah, then he doesn't. He shouldn't be eating. Yeah. So you have to take in take in those those considerations. But Ed, that is a good point because that's what you hear. You hear a lot of rhetoric today, especially on the conservative side. You know, about poor people, you know, living off of the dole of the government and so forth, and they don't want to do anything to help themselves. Yeah, there is that, there is that part of society, but that's only a small part of the society. And we have a tendency to exaggerate those things and we balloon them all out, but there's also a large portion of the society that they really can't do a whole lot for themselves because of certain limitations, whether it's a mental limitation or a physical limitation or a social limitation, whatever that limitation is. So yeah, there's there is that balance that you need to seek and find in those things. That's why you know I don't I'm not against giving uh, toward charities, but check your charities out. See how much of that money goes for overhead versus what it actually says that the charity is all about. I used to give to two or three different charities, and then I started digging into their charities and come to find out a lot of it goes to paying you know the the uh, the CEO or whatever it is. I mean this guy's making like three hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you, you got to check those things out. So that's where the balance comes in. You have to do your homework. You got don't lump everybody in the same boat. That type of thing. And we are terrible about doing things like that. Even if you do make a mistake of giving to somebody that you think really needs it, and you find out later on that they really didn't need it, I believe you're still going to be blessed by the Lord because He's. Amen. I agree 100%. Amen. Because it's all about the heart, isn't it? Yeah, it's all about the heart. Right? That's a good point. An excellent point. So, that's good. Good comments. All right. We're like 10 minutes early, guys. I don't know what to do myself. (laughs) No, we're not going to (laughs) party. See what I have to deal with? All right, so let's go ahead and close out in prayer. If uh, no other comments, none whatsoever. Matthew, can I call on you to, to close out in prayer, please? Uh, Father God, we thank you for this.